Welcome to the Exposing Pseudo-Astronomy podcast for another example of astronomy and astronomy-related misconceptions, mistakes, half-truths, and conspiracies. My name is Stuart Robbins, and this is episode 111 for the first third of June 2014. The topic I'm going to talk about today is the Cydonia region of Mars. The claim on its face for this episode is reasonably straightforward and simple. There is a region of Mars called Cydonia, which has some features that display special geometry and numbers that are encoded within them. And the only way those numbers and that geometry could be there is if it was created by some sort of intelligence, such as aliens. This episode is meant to be a companion to the movie that was released into the podcast feed and on YouTube on May 31st. The movie is 15 minutes and 45 seconds long, and it describes the claim the evidence for and against it, and ultimately concludes that the claim is false, or, at the very best, that the layout of the Cydonia region's features are indistinguishable from random chance. The claim itself is based on mathematical arguments, so while I tried to make the movie understandable, it does get into math that some have found confusing. Hence this episode, which, as I said, is meant to be a companion to the movie. I'm going to get into some more details, some more explanations, and a few things that didn't make it into the movie. You should watch the movie first, and then listen to this episode. Although, I did already kind of do the spoiler and told you what the conclusion is, but I'm going to assume that you've watched it, so there won't be as much background as usual in this podcast episode. Pretty much all of the evidence for this claim originated from the analysis by Richard C. Hoagland and Eral O. Torin back in the 1980s. It's also argued by many others in many different permutations, but for the sake of keeping it to the original people, their argument is the one that I'm going to focus on. Among other places, the argument was featured in Richard Hoagland's book, The Monuments of Mars, which has, to date, undergone several printings. The argument is also in a lengthy essay on Richard's website, The Enterprise Mission. You can read it for yourself if you really want to, but the non-conspiracy, non-conjecture, and most objective evidence that's claimed is that many of the features that they indicate as appearing possibly artificial, first, are laid out in mathematical relationships that indicate their artificiality, second, are positioned in a place on the planet that is a mathematical symbol of their artificiality, and or third, that the features themselves show internal geometry, like the angles that the feature makes, that indicate their artificiality. The primary signal to them that they are artificial is that the various angles of the features are equivalent to special numbers, or that if you take one angle of the feature and divide it by another angle, that the result, the ratio, is equal to a special number or that if you calculate the trigonometric value of any of these angles, that they are equal to a special number. It's unimportant for this discussion what the trigonometry is, just know that it's related to angles of a right triangle, where a right triangle is a triangle where one of the three angles is 90 degrees, a right angle. In their work, they refer to features in the broader area of Cydonia, a region of Mars, but they also focus on the D&M Pyramid, a feature that in low-resolution and low-quality Viking orbiter data from the 1970s looks like a pyramid. See episode 104 for more on that. They focus on the pyramid because the claim is that several of its angles show their special numbers, either by themselves, in ratios of each other, or by the trigonometric functions, and that the latitude of the pyramid is special. 
all of the values in the pyramid, the claim goes, are also shown in the broader Sidonia region, hence why they refer to it as the Mathematical Rosetta Stone of Sidonia. This is a reference to the Rosetta Stone, which contained the same text in several different languages, finally allowing for the deciphering of Egyptian hieroglyphics. That's why, while the movie is about the Sidonia region as a whole, most of the time is spent on the DNM pyramid, as will also be true in this episode. The final bit of the claim needed at this point is what these special numbers are. I'm not entirely sure why Richard and Torin picked the values that they did, but they are the square roots of small numbers like 3 or 5, the mathematical constants e and pi, square roots of those, and ratios of any of those, like e divided by the square root of 5. E is an important number in mathematics. It's used in things like calculating compound interest. It's roughly equal to 2.72. It's irrational, meaning that it cannot be expressed as a simple fraction and that none of the digits repeat. The same is true with pi, which is the ratio of a circle's circumference to its diameter. It's roughly equal to 3.14. In investigating the claim, one of the first things we have to do is to actually understand it. There are two parts to the claim. First, that these features are important, and second, that they are important as indicated by these special numbers. I couldn't find any explicit statement in any of the writing as to what exactly constituted a special number. I took the examples they give and made it simple. Whole numbers, 1 through 5, the irrational numbers, e and pi, and any ratio of those or the ratio of the square roots of those and all the positive or negative values of those. Once all of those values are calculated, there are 47 possible special numbers, although you can double it when using positive and negative, like they do, such as the negative square root of 3. The reason why I say that there are 47 unique special numbers is because, for example, 2 is the same as the square root of 4. Therefore, anything that had a ratio like that, or just those numbers themselves, would be considered the same thing, and hence only one of them would count. But why these numbers? There are other important numbers in mathematics, and even more important numbers in architecture on Earth. For example, there's the golden ratio, which is irrational and approximately equal to 1.62. It was used a lot in classical Greek architecture, it's defined as being when the sum of two numbers divided by the larger number is equal to the ratio of the larger number divided by the smaller number. If you're into algebra, this is the same as saying a plus b over a is equal to a over b, where a is larger than b. Anyway, the definition isn't quite as important as its aesthetic appeal, which is why it's used in architecture, painting, music, and even book design. One might think that given that information that the golden ratio would have been looked at by Hoagland and Torin, but it appears to be completely missing. Personally, I think it seems pretty arbitrary what numbers they considered important or special other than the 19.5 degrees, which they find in roundabout ways and I talked more about in episode 26. I'm not really going to address it anymore in this one. Then the other part of the claim is the features that were selected. In Richard Hoagland's version of the D&M pyramid, there are nine angles specifically shown, though one of them is exactly half of another, and so there are really only eight somewhat unique angles. I say somewhat unique angles because in a triangle, 
if you've defined two of the angles, the third one is already defined. So you really only have two unique angles in a three-angle triangle, which is all triangles. All triangles have three angles, hence why it's called a triangle. Anyway, as I show in the movie, rather than there only being nine angles in this kind of shape, there are actually 35 angles to choose from in the pyramid shape. Why only those nine were selected over all of the others, other than just because they match the special numbers, and what's special about half of one of them, is not discussed. In other versions of the D&M pyramid diagram from other people, I found folks drawing all sorts of other angles, like taking one of the lines from the center to the edge, and then the difference between that and due east, and saying that that angle was special, therefore the pyramid was designed. It's a lot of different angles. The same is the case for the broader Cydonia region. There are really countless features to choose from, but in most maps I've seen about 10 to 25 different features that are called out as being important. Then it's the angles between them, usually, that are said to be important and they match the angles within the D&M pyramid, or special numbers. Or sometimes it's the ratios of various distances between otherwise random features. But again, the point is why those? There seems to be no explanation as to why those positions or those angles were selected in particular as opposed to countless others, other than those features seem to yield the numbers that they think are special. But even if that weren't the case, one scene that didn't make the cut in the movie is that even if everything they claimed were true, I think that at the very least, Richard Hoagland was kind of sloppy in doing a copy-and-paste job. In the versions of his diagrams that show the D&M pyramid and Cydonia, he identifies the exact same angles, the exact same ratios, and the exact same trigonometric values in each. And yet, while those angles are in the D&M pyramid, he diagrams them showing where they are, only about half of them are shown to be in the broader Cydonia region, as in, they're labeled in the legend, but not shown at all in the diagram. And the legend is exactly the same between the two images. Same labeling scheme, same angles, same exact values. So, it seems somewhat suspicious to me, but then I have a somewhat cynical and suspicious nature. But let's say, for the moment, that they are completely correct, that these specific angles and features, for whatever reason, are the only ones that were designed by an intelligence and are therefore special. Let's give it to them for the sake of argument right now. Now we have to look at whether the angles were actually what they've claimed the angles are. The data that Richard and Aaron had were Viking with a pixel scale of about 45 to 55 meters per pixel, at least in the Cydonia area that they call out, which is about 145 to 180 feet per pixel. That means that each pixel is the footprint of a fairly large house. It's the area equivalent to about 21,000 to 32,000 square feet, or about 2,000 to 3,000 square meters, which is 45 to 70 times the size of my first one-bedroom apartment, and 25 to 40 times the size of my next two-bedroom apartment. Each pixel, as in the smallest piece of information that you can glean, assuming every pixel is perfect. Nowadays, we have the imagery of the site that's about six meters or 18 feet per pixel. 
meaning that each original pixel can be filled by 70 of the new ones. Much better resolution. Not only that, but digital cameras offer significantly better data quality. So even though each original pixel can be filled with 70 new ones, if you scaled the new ones to the resolution of Viking, as in you binned them to be the same pixel scale as Viking, the quality would still be better in the new images. I show what a difference this can make in about the 8 minute 45 second mark of the movie, and it's pretty striking. That's a very, very lengthy way of saying that the data now are better, and that any old analysis is subject to revision with the new data, which is what I did. Originally, the claim was that the precision, the level to which the angles that they found matched the special numbers, was three significant figures. In the movie, I say that there are a couple of different interpretations of that. It could mean that the first two digits must be the same, and the third can be one-off based on how you round. Usually, it means that the first three digits are identical, the first three significant figures. It could also mean that if you divide one by the other, then they have to match to 1% tolerance or better, which is what I code as yellow in the movie, which I think is actually a more generous tolerance than three significant figures. Or it could mean that they have to match to 1% tolerance or better, which is what I code in the movie as green. Regardless, I try to cover my ass and give the results to either 1% or 0.1%, so that you can see how well the stuff matches, and I also give the values so that you can compare the actual numbers. And there's the rub. The first thing I did was I used their angle measurements, and I just repeated the math, as in there was no new analysis of my own, no angle measurements, no new data, I just checked their math. I found that only about two-thirds of the values that they claimed were significant actually were, when you use the 1% tolerance definition of three significant figures. In other words, it didn't matter what I measured, what data I used, or anything else at this point. Just using their measurements, their claim was overstated. Then, when I made the measurements myself, I found that in light of the most recent data, only two of the originally claimed 29 significant angles on the DNM pyramid actually matched to 1% tolerance of the special numbers. One of them matched to 0.1%. And it was about as bad with the broader Cydonia region. But then we get back to this issue of data quality and the features themselves. They're not perfect. The pyramid is far from perfect, for no wall is straight, and they do not even converge at the same apex point. I actually measured it three times, and each time I got a slightly different value that meant that my angles changed by several percentage points, meaning that when I went to compare them with the special values, one that matched before wouldn't, and one that didn't match before now did. And then you factor in data quality and resolution. I show in the movie that if you shift those endpoints just a little bit, which is several pixels in the data that I used, but practically within the same 2,000 to 3,000 square meter pixel they used originally, you get different results. In other words, it almost doesn't matter what tolerance we want to say the numbers have to match. Under any reasonable measure, you could get them to match just by tweaking the spacing a teeny bit because data quality and the feature shapes themselves are so poorly defined for this kind of claimed high-precision type of work. That's why I then talked about the null hypothesis. 
how many of these angles would match our special numbers if they were, in actuality, completely random. After all, it was starting to look like you could kinda get your special numbers or not, just based on how you felt that time that you were drawing your pentagon or choosing your features in the larger Cydonia area. But this isn't a test that debunkers or skeptics should be using. This is something that you should do in good scientific practice. If you want to show that a phenomenon is happening, you have to understand what the background level should be for that phenomenon. Otherwise, how can you know if your findings are unusual? In the movie, I did this in both an informal way and a more formal way. The informal method was shown for both the D&M pyramid and the features in the Cydonia region, where I had each vertex or important feature, and then I adjusted them by a small random number every half second, and I redid the angle analysis. The point there was to demonstrate what I said earlier, that when you consider any reasonable uncertainty in the data quality and resolution, even in the better data that we have today, and how they contribute to the uncertainty of where these features are exactly, that the angle you measure or the ratio or trig result that you get varies by several percent. That means two things. First, that regardless of how careful Hoagland and Torin were when they did this in the 1980s, and regardless of how careful I am in, when I do it in 2014, it is simply impossible for anyone to be accurate to the three significant figures level that they claimed, regardless of the exact definition of three significant figures. Second, this implies that these special numbers could be found simply based on how you draw the shape that particular day or hour or five minute period. That led into the full-fledged Monte Carlo simulation I did in the movie with the rapidly dancing pentagon and the histograms that were being built up around the 9.5 minute mark. In physics, the concept of a Monte Carlo experiment is something that usually a first-year physics undergraduate will learn in lab class. It's where you do a numerical simulation with random numbers to try to understand a phenomenon. A good non-physics example would be the Monte Hall problem. It goes kind of like this. You're on a game show, there are three doors. Behind two of them is a goat, and one of them has a much better prize, like a million dollars or a fancy car. The point of the game show is that you are asked to pick the door that has the million dollars behind it. After you do guess, the host opens one of the doors that you didn't choose with a goat. The host then asks if you want to change your guess. Should you change your guess, or should you leave it as it is? Most people, even after it's explained, still don't quite understand why you should always switch your choice, because then you have a two-thirds chance of winning the money, but you only have a one-third chance if you keep your answer the same. To prove to yourself without a bunch of fancy statistics that that's the correct choice, you could run a Monte Carlo simulation. You would have a random number generator pick which door has the money. You would then have the computer, at random, choose your door for you. Then you have the computer be the host and open one of the doors that has the bad prize. You then have the computer switch your door to the one that's still closed, and then see if that's the one with the good prize. If it is, add one to the tally. Then repeat this, say, a million times. From that simulation, the final tally should be close to two-thirds of a million. In the application, to the Mars, Cydonia, DNM pyramid problem, 
The Monte Carlo approach is to create a bunch of random pentagons and then measure the angles and see how many of them or their ratios or their trig functions match the significant numbers. In a simulation like that, you can check everything to an arbitrary precision, which is why I did it both to matching the 1% and 0.1% levels. At this point in the movie, I had also left the idea that the particular 9 angles out of the 35 were the ones that were important. After all, the purpose of this simulation was to get an idea of how many of the angles, ratios, or trig values would match the special numbers as a whole, not just the ones that Hoagland and Torn chose. That's why I analyzed all 35 potential angles that were present, as opposed to focusing on the 9 that they selected. The way I got to 735 different numbers to compare to the special numbers was to take the 35 possible angles, plus 3 times that for sine, cosine, or tangent of those angles, the trig functions, and then add up all the possible ratios. Ratios being like angle 1 divided by angle 2, or 3, or 4, or 5 up to angle 35, then angle 2 divided by 3, 4, or 5, and then angle 3 divided by 4, or 5, or 6, or 7, and so on and so forth. I think by the point in the video that I had shown all of the different possible numbers, I mean, we're talking here about 735 possibly important numbers, or actually over 2,800 if you consider half angles, which they did, it may have become apparent to those with a more critical eye that the analysis was unlikely to end well for Richard Hoagland, Errol Torin, and others who followed their lead. Just by the sheer numbers here, and all of them generally between 0 and about 6.3 because of how the problem is set up, I mean, just by the sheer hundreds of possible values, it's pretty darn likely that some of them are going to match the special numbers, also between 0 and 6.3, or 0 and negative 6.3. I mean, just you have 47 between those two values, 0 and 6.3, 47 of them, so just by chance, you're going to have about 1 every 0.1 value. I mean, so you're going to have a lot of matches. But that was the point then of the Monte Carlo simulation to see how many actually did. I ran the simulation on 15,000 random pentagons, and even though this was done in animation software, it really was a random simulation. It was not deterministic with something pre-programmed in as the end result. Each time I rendered the scene, the results were slightly different, but they all had the same distribution. That's the whole point of the Monte Carlo process. Just like if we go back to the Monte Hall problem, if you run the simulation 100 times, you're not going to win exactly 67 times. It may be 55, then you run it again, it may be you win 70 times, then again, you may win 74 times then the next time, 63 times, and so on. But the more you run it, the closer you'll get to that two-thirds value. When I ran it on 15,000 random pentagons, I think the result was pretty telling. An average of 214 of those 735 possible angles, ratios, or trig results matched any one of the 47 positive or 47 negative special numbers to 1% accuracy, and 22, on average, matched to 0.1%. That means that if you were to pick 
any random feature on Mars that looks sort of like a pentagon and then measure all of your angles, you can expect 22 of those to match those special numbers. And that's, of course, assuming that you do the math right, which, as I show in the video, isn't actually the case, with Richard being over 30% wrong with his simple division of E divided by pi. It's 0.887, not 0.61. Anyway, Richard and Torin claimed that 29 numbers were significant to 3 significant figure accuracy. Let's pretend they're correct, even though, as I just mentioned, their math was off. But again, let's just say they're correct. Then the question is, what is the likelihood of them finding 29 significant matches when our average was 22? This is something else that comes out of the Monte Carlo simulation. While you get an average, there's a distribution of results. Each simulation has a slightly different number of matches, as shown in the histogram in the movie. You can do some basic statistics when you calculate the average, and also calculate what's called a standard deviation. Pretty much any analysis, graphing, math, or other software that calculates averages will also calculate standard deviations, including Microsoft's Excel. If the data were distributed in what physicists refer to as a Gaussian distribution, what statisticians typically call a normal distribution, and what every high school student fears as the bell curve, it's really all the same thing, just different names, then the standard deviation represents where 68.3% of the data are. Why it's 68.3% has to do with calculus and various other things, which is unimportant for this conversation. What is important is that if you take the average, subtract the standard deviation, and then take the average and add the standard deviation, it's that range where 68.3% of the data lie, which means that 68.3% of the time, just by pure chance, you can expect to get that many significant numbers. Also meaning that the inverse is true. 31.7% of the time, you can expect to get more or less than that many significant numbers. In the video, I went to 2 sigma, meaning that I went to plus or minus 2 standard deviations from the average, where 95.5% of the data are, meaning that there's only about a 2.3% chance of finding more and 2.3% chance of finding less than that range. As I discussed in episode 82, the gold standard in physics is typically 5 sigma, meaning that there's less than a one in a million chance of finding that value by pure random chance alone. In the end of the Monte Carlo experiment, I point out that when I measured the DNM pyramid's angles, I found 17 matches to 0.1% of the special numbers. That's right at about one sigma from the average, meaning that I had a really good chance, 68.3% of finding that number of matches purely at random. When all was said and done, the movie was a good way of illustrating the Texas sharpshooter fallacy, which is where you have a bunch of numbers, see where they cluster, and draw a target around it. Now, I can't read minds, even though I really wish I could, so I have no idea if that's how they went about it in the 1980s, but even if it were a genuine intent of a pure, true scientific analysis, Mr. Hoagland and Torun to put it bluntly, failed. In a non-exhaustive list of reasons, for one, they made basic math errors. 
Second, they failed to clearly state their criteria for when a match was considered important. You have to know this in order to evaluate the claim independently. Third, they showed only a few angles or a few points and said that those ones matched their significant numbers, but they did not show the inverse, that choosing other points did not match their numbers, or that they even tested other features or configurations. Fourth, they dramatically overestimated the quality and fidelity of the data to make the kind of analysis they did, especially on the DNM pyramid feature, for just shifting your points within a single pixel of the original data can change the results by more than 1%. Fifth, they failed to actually state their criteria for what I've been calling a special number. I tried to be objective in my interpretation of what they mean based on their diagrams and listing some of them, but without being clear, they make it very difficult for someone to replicate their findings, and replication is one of the key requirements for something to be accepted in science, except perhaps by late-night radio hosts and an uncritical audience. Sixth, they failed to estimate by any method how many matches they should find even if the shape were completely, utterly random, which I did by a Monte Carlo simulation, and which they could have done by more primitive methods that don't require a computer. After all, it was the 80s. Seventh, decades later, with much better data, Richard Hoagland hunkered down and insisted that his analysis was correct, even claiming that a reason one of his walls on the DNM pyramid that was now not in shadow in the images and in an entirely different place than they thought in 1989, actually should still be where they thought it was in 1989 because it simply collapsed, or that where they thought it was in 1989 was where it was originally, and that it had now collapsed. And it shows 19.5 degrees in it, somehow or other. And then finally, a point that a member of my test audience pointed out should be emphasized much more than I did because it shows that the entire analysis that they did, and even the one that I did, is flawed, is that the DNM pyramid is a three-dimensional structure. Every single analysis has been done looking down on it as a 2D projection, but because it's a 3D structure, every single angle that we measure in the 2D projection is wrong. Everything at the apex is smaller than we measured, and everything around the sides is larger, and so all of the angles are different. And if your Rosetta Stone turns out to be gibberish because you're reading it on its side, or upside down, or backwards, then your reading of the language itself, the broader Cydonia region, is just as flawed. So this has been a fairly long episode. It's much longer than I intended, and I'm recording it a few days early because this weekend my parents are in town, so I had to record it three days early for once as opposed to a day or two late, as the last few episodes have been. That's my roundabout way of saying that this is the only segment. There are no other ones in this episode. And if you haven't watched the video, either on YouTube or in the podcast feed, you should. If you have any problems with it, like it won't play or something like that, please let me know. 
Also, I really want feedback on this. Good, bad, what you liked, what you didn't like. Other than it was too mathy, I realized after I'd released my first draft that it was very math-heavy, or maths-heavy for you Brits and Aussies, but there was really no way that that could be helped. This is a math claim. You have to answer it with math. I probably should have chosen a different topic for the first video, but it's the one I chose. I tried to make it understandable both in the movie and this episode, but please don't email me saying it was too mathy because I already know that. But yes, most other feedback, please send it my way. I'm hoping that this is not going to be a one-off thing. I have several other movie ideas in mind, most of them based on previous podcast episodes that were very visual, but I had no visuals. If you're coming to this and you are one of the people who thinks that the Sidonia stuff is real, is genuine, and you disagree with anything I say, please let me know. The whole point of this is to dialogue. The whole point of this is a back-and-forth conversation, but when you email me or tweet me or comment somewhere, please make sure to actually address the claim that I make, the refutation, the Monte Carlo simulation, anything like that. Don't just say, well, you're wrong, and leave it like that. And then, of course, if you liked the movie, if you thought that it was any good, please share it with friends and others. Post it to forums. Tell other skeptical podcasters and bloggers so maybe they'll link to it and share the love. That wraps up this topic for the 111th edition of the Exposing Pseudo-Astronomy Podcast. 111, there's some repeating harmonic numerology codes for you. Thank you for listening, and I do hope that you enjoyed it and learned a little, or a lot, at the same time. For more information about the podcast, you can visit the website at podcast.sjrdesign.net. If you have any feedback, please use the feedback form on the website. You can send an email to podcast at sjrdesign.net, or you can leave a comment on the page for the episode on the website, the blog post for the episode, the Facebook page of the podcast, and even tweet me at pseudoastro, P-S-E-U-D-O-A-S-T-R-O. I do read every message, and I appreciate the feedback. If you have suggestions for topics, please feel free to make them. If you have suggestions for videos, feel free to make them. Please write a review and rate the podcast on iTunes or your podcast website or service of choice. If you liked it, tell friends, family, random people you'll never meet in real life, other podcasters, other bloggers, everyone! 